0: Now, you know, human beings will do um, almost anything to stay alive, right? So we'll do uh, diets that we hate, eating foods that we despise. We will do torturous exercise uh, regimens. Some people even have their bodies cryogenically frozen when they die in hopes that one day science is going to figure out a way to like, bring them back to life. Uh, like crazy, crazy stuff. It's it's really amazing. We all just have this deep-seated desire to be alive. In 1823, uh, a rugged hunter and frontiersman named Hugh Glass, got a picture of Hugh up there for you, was uh, was on a hunt and stumbled upon a, a grizzly bear with two cubs. Uh, the grizzly charged uh, Glass, and he shot it once but unfazed, the grizzly chased him up a tree, ripped him out of the tree, reportedly flung some of his flesh over to the two cubs. They began to eat while she went back to mauling him. Glass uh, reportedly pulled out a knife, began to slash at the bear. Eventually two people in his party showed up, shot the grizzly, and killed it. But what they found when they got over to Glass was a grizzly sight. Get it? grizzly sight grizzly bear yeah no so too early too early okay all right we'll we'll move on well glass 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 survived the attack but barely he was literally (laughs) he was literally ripped to shreds see you guys are getting the hang of it now he was literally ripped to shreds uh reportedly with a broken leg a slashed throat so they couldn't even speak severe wounds on his back his crew was sure that he was going to die At any moment, and so they abandoned him. They actually uh, left him by a stream under a berry bush just in case. And um, realizing that he had been abandoned to die alone, Glass crawled and limped some 250 miles through harsh wilderness and constant threat of roving, kind of violent Indian tribes, half dead. And yet he survived to tell the tale. It's an amazing story. In fact, Leonardo DiCaprio made a really bloody uh, movie about Hugh Glass a few years ago. I could not recommend that to you as your pastor, but it's there. Um, in 2003, uh, more, more recently, a young man named Aaron Ralston was hiking in the canyons of Utah when he accidentally dislodged an 800-pound boulder that uh, pinned him inside the canyon uh, by his right arm. After six days of no food, no sleep... And no water, he had a a vision, a dream one night of him holding a a little blonde-headed boy that he believed was his son, and he was holding him with uh, missing one arm. And so he woke up the next day, determined not to die in that canyon, and so he used his body weight to break both uh, both bones in his arm and amputated his own arm with a small, dull pocket knife. He then rappelled down a 60-foot cliff, and bleeding, hiked seven to eight miles out of that canyon. He survived and wrote a book aptly titled Between a Rock and a Hard Place, right? Can't make that stuff up. We all have a deep-seated desire to live. But the more important question is really this. What are you living for? What are you living for? And the sad truth is so many people have no idea how to answer that question for themselves almost 2,000 years ago a guy sitting in a prison cell waiting his possible execution tells us exactly what it is it's not only worth living for but is also worth dying for Paul tells us why we can endure death and why we can even anticipate death with a smile on our face because Paul is going to tell us that for the follower of Jesus death is even better than life Now, that doesn't mean that as Christians we have some kind of weird, like, martyr complex, right? It doesn't mean that we start smoking four packs of Marlboro Reds every day or eating, like, 12 cheeseburgers uh, every day so that we could, like, die more quickly. In fact, I would encourage you not to do either of those things. Paul simply means that for the Christian, life after death is even more glorious than life before death. I got a chuckle a few years ago... um, a popular book in Christian circles that that came out and if this is your favorite book then I'll help you find a new favorite book It was entitled something like uh, Living Your Best Life Now and uh, I just I just wanted to say to everybody like going nuts about this like have you ever just have you ever just thought about like if you if you are living your best life now what does that mean? If you're living your best life now that means when you die where are you going to go? You're going to go to hell right? So, so Paul, Paul would say the opposite of that he said Paul would say no no my life now in the flesh is to live for Christ. But my best life is when I'm with Jesus in his kingdom forever. That's my best life. And I'm not there yet, but that's where I'm headed. So let me just say to you this morning, friend, if you are living your best life now, if you're pouring all of your energy, all of your resources, all of your finances, all of your thought into living like the best, most easy, like glorious, luxurious life now, you're really missing the boat. So let's do a quick uh, mental exercise. You fill in the blank. This will be on the screens for you. For me to live is blank. You fill in the blank. Let me just encourage you, as you do this exercise in your mind, be be honest with yourself. Now don't, don't fill in that blank with what you think is the right answer or the churchy answer. Fill it in with the truth. What are you actually living for today? Some of you undoubtedly would have to put, hey, for me to live is is pleasure. It's what I it's what I live for. Pleasure in food, pleasure in drink, physical pleasure, whatever it is. For some of you, you would have to put, for me to live is, is money. It's what you think about. It's what you dream about. That's your main goal in life. Or maybe the security that you get from money. For some of you, you might have to put, for me to live is sexual gratification. Like that's that's what you live for. Or for maybe some of you would write or fill in that blank by saying, for me to live is influence, it's, it's power. For some of you, maybe it's popularity with your friends. What are you really living for? Because here's the deal. Whatever, whatever you just filled that blank in with is your functional Savior. Like Whatever that one thing is that you think you can't live without, that one thing that you just think about the most, that, that is your functional Savior. For me as a, as a young man in my, in my teens and, and even into my early 20s, my, my functional saviors were pleasure and the approval of men. It's like that's what, I, that's what I lived for. That was the purpose of my life was just seeking the next thrill, pleasure in life, the approval of men, cared about what my friends thought about me. And I have no doubt that had Jesus not redeemed me out of that life, that those functional saviors would have absolutely been the death of me. And the sad thing is there are far too many people that are wasting their lives, spending their limited days and years pursuing things that not only will not give life, but in the end will actually take life, destroy their lives. But that doesn't have to be your story, friend. Paul is going to give us the remedy to this common malady of the human condition. I had planned on finishing chapter one. Um, this morning but uh, my sermon was about an hour and a half long and uh, I I know a lot of you sinners live to beat the Presbyterians to your favorite restaurants on Sundays and so um, I I won't do that to you so we're only going to get through uh, verse 26 this morning to verse 19 through 26 and I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the believers in the city of Philippi beginning in verse 19 this is what Paul says, yes and I will rejoice now keep in mind if you were here last week Paul is talking about his own suffering for the cause of Jesus. So Paul's not writing this like sprawled out on a beach somewhere with a, you know, a drink with an umbrella poking out the top. He's in a prison cell being tortured. He's saying, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers, the prayers of the Philippian brothers and sisters and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul gives us several encouragements here, several marks for living a kingdom-centered life, a life that will actually matter, a life that will actually count in the end. And I think Paul would say to us, believer, truth number one, choose joy. Choose joy joy. We ended the message uh, last week with Paul using the word rejoice. He begins the text this morning again using the same exact word rejoice. This is one of the primary themes that Paul kind of puts through the course of the entire letter. In other words believer, Paul is saying be filled with joy. Paul was a man of unshakable joy. You remember his story last week we kind of broke it down. Prison for Paul and he was always in prison seemingly. Joy in his life. Beatings, joy for Paul. Facing execution, joy. Shipwrecked, adrift in the ocean, joy. Hungry, thirsty, cold, abandoned by his friends, joy for Paul. How? How? Paul is telling us that when we have Jesus, joy is ours. It belongs to us. We can claim it in any circumstance of life. See, happiness for the follower of Jesus is not just reserved for like sunny days with blue skies when the birds are singing. Joy belongs to us even in the deepest, darkest, most gut-wrenching, painful seasons of life as well. I want you to listen to the words of Habakkuk, a prophet in the Old Testament. This will be on the screens for you. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice. There's that word again. I will rejoice. He's saying, if you strip everything away, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk goes, you can take everything away from me and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because my hope and my strength is not in anything that this world can take away from me. My hope and my strength and my joy is rooted in something that can never be taken away. It's in my relationship with God. He is the joy of my salvation. Believer, joy belongs to you in Jesus. But you have a choice to make. You have to pick it up and apply it to your life every single day of your life. Believer, choose joy. In times of ease, choose joy. In seasons of pain, especially in seasons of pain, choose joy because you have a treasure in Jesus that is far more beautiful and far more valuable than any pain you may experience temporarily in this life. And here's the second way I think that Paul would encourage us to live as followers of Jesus. Number one, choose joy. Number two, rely on prayer and the Holy Spirit. So many times we get in a jam in our, our lives. And, and listen, I'm I'm the king of this. And so this is something I'm working through. This is something I'm praying through in my own life. but. So often I see Christians get in hard situations in life, they get in jams, and we try to resolve things in our own strength. And so often it's only after we have literally like failed at everything we can think of that we actually go to God. But I think Paul would say to us, I think Paul would say to me this morning, stop. Stop. Don't you you realize that you have access to to the creator of the universe who calls you son, who calls you daughter, and you're running around like a fool, like trying to fix all of your problems in your own puny, laughable strength. Just stop, dummy. What are you, what are you doing? Like notice what Paul says here in, in verse 19. He says, my, my deliverance will come through what? Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. Now, don't miss this. Paul Paul is saying there's this supernatural connection between prayer and the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, every every single Sunday morning, man, when I'm driving here, my my prayer is almost exactly the same. I pray, God, send, send your spirit. Send your spirit to work in people's hearts because I know that apart from Christ, I'm a broken man. I know that apart from the power and the working of your Holy Spirit, my words are feeble. I'm not persuasive enough, I'm not clever enough to engage people at the heart level, but you, God, through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, you can, you can do anything in people's lives. You can break chains, you can, you can make the blind see, you can make the lame walk, you can raise the dead to life. So, Father, we're like what I what I can't do, what I could never do, God, would you would you send your Spirit and work in people's heart? And I just I plead with God, I pray to God, please do what I could never do. And so, Christian, I just ask this morning, like, when's the last time you asked somebody to pray for you? I mean, like, really pray for you, not the churchy stuff. Like, hey, brother, I'll pray for you, and they never do, right? When's the last time you actually really asked somebody to pray for you? To pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life to move mountains. To do big things in your life. I am convinced that we should be praying way more for one another. We should be asking one another for prayer far more often than we do. I think our lack of prayer and our lack of dependence on the Spirit of God is an indication that our view of ourselves is way too big and our view of God is way too small. Christian, pray. Ask others to pray. Ask God's Spirit to do what you could never do. There is a connection between prayer and the moving of God's Spirit in our lives. Do not live in your own strength, believer. Press into prayer. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you never could. Look at verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but listen to this, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. And I think Paul would say to us, believer, truth number three, embrace courage. Courage is much like joy. It is ours in Jesus. We have access to unflinching courage in Christ. It is a choice to live courageously for the Christian. I love this definition of courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something is more important than fear. The brave may not live forever, but the cowardly do not live at all. I think we kind of have this idea in our minds that like Paul... The early disciples, the apostles, maybe the first century church that we read about in the book of Acts, maybe missionaries today. We have this idea that they maybe have like some kind of like supernatural courage that God just like forgot to give the rest of us. It's not true at at all. We begin to live a courageous life when we realize that everything that we are afraid of, and let me just pause right there for a second. Let me ask you, what are you most afraid of? just in your mind right now, just kind of gut check, heart check, what are you most afraid of in life? Is it death? Is it being alone? Is it being financially broke, being abandoned by those that you love? What are you you most afraid of? And courage is getting to the place that whatever we are most afraid of is far less valuable to us than jesus is that as we look upon his goodness like what we're afraid of begins to kind of just fade away into the background of a life marked by courage because we treasure him more than we fear losing anything else including even our own lives now this is kind of a goofy example but it's all i could think of so that's what you're going to get this morning Our family, one of the things we enjoy doing oftentimes after dinner is we like to take uh, walks. And so we have a little neighborhood that has several cul-de-sacs, so it's a good place to to walk or for the kids to ride their bikes. And uh, I remember a couple years ago after dinner, we were going to walk before we put them to bed. And man, we no sooner got out of our driveway that this ferocious-looking dog rounds the corner. And it looks like he's got bad intentions. And instinctively, you know, I kind of step in front of, I'm, you know, I've got Cheryl, my wife, and my three kids. I step in front of Cheryl and kind of, like, usher them behind me. Actually, I think Cheryl, like, tossed me in front of her. And, um, but, but in either case, I ended up between my family and the dog, and I was there, like, re- ready to engage this pit bull, you know, looking dog. Now, thankfully, he just, he just looked mean, and um, he didn't have bad intentions. All, all was well. But where, where did that come? Where did that courage come from? Like, why did I instinctively step in front of my family and that dog? Right? I don't want to get mauled by a pit bull. That that courage came from having something more valuable and more precious to me than my desire not to get mauled by a pit bull. And Paul is saying Jesus is more valuable than anything, than everything. That that's how good He is. That in the face of His goodness. Fear flees and courage swells. See, courage is something that we, be, we ought to be praying for. Something that we ought to be praying for for one another. Just God, help, help me. <laughs> like by nature, God, I'm, I'm timid. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of opinions. I'm afraid of pit bulls. I'm afraid of different things. Like, so God, like, God, help me. I, I, know, I know that I can't do this perfectly. I know that I'm going to mess it up sometimes. But God, help, help me live courageously. Help me trust you courageously. Help me love you courageously. Help help me share you with others courageously. God, root out this timidity in my heart that I know isn't from you. God, help me do that. So Paul would say to us, believer Christian, embrace courage. This is your identity in Jesus. And then verse 21, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Paul says this. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. He's talking about life and death. It's like I can't decide. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, how frustrating is a guy like Paul to his Roman captors? Like, Have you ever thought about that? Like, Paul, we're going to kill you, man. To die is gain. Bring it on. Alright, Paul, we're going to let you live and just rot away in prison. I'll convert all of your guards to live as Christ. Okay, Paul, we're going to torture you. My suffering is a gift that emboldens the churches and advances the message of Jesus. Thank you, sir. I love all of your options. Ah! What do you do with a guy like that? Right? He can't lose because for him to live as Christ and to die and be with Jesus is even better. I love the way Paul words it. He goes, I'm not sure which I would choose. <laughs> like, if you gave me a choice, I'm not, oh, it's so hard. Like, would I choose life on this earth or would I choose to die and be with Jesus forever? He's like, man, I'm hard pressed between the two. I can't choose. Both options are so stinking awesome, I don't even know which one to choose. It's like, it's like if you were to ask me, hey, Chris, would you rather have a, um, a meal at a five-star restaurant consisting of bacon-encrusted fresh lobster drizzled with garlic butter or a perfectly seared filet cooked medium with a side of roasted asparagus? And my option would be yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Yes is my answer. Do you want Alabama to beat Auburn or Tennessee this year in football? Yes, yes, both. You want to go on a date with your wife this week or next week? Yes. Yes, yes. Paul, do you want to live or die? Yes. Do I have to choose? This is too hard to choose. It reminds me of this uh, famous prayer by St. Patrick, who's an incredible uh, missionary to Ireland who kicked off an incredible Jesus movement there. And uh, his prayer will be on the screens for you. This is what Patrick says. Christ with me. Christ before me Christ behind me Christ in me Christ beneath me Christ above me Christ on my right Christ on my left Christ when I lie down Christ when I sit down Christ when I arise Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me Christ in every eye that sees me Christ in every ear that hears me that's good isn't it? that's almost like Old St. Patrick had been reading the book of Philippians or something. Christ is all believer. He is the air that we breathe. He is the life that we live. He is our future. He is our hope. He is our everything. This verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain, that ought to be our life's battle cry. That ought to be our manifesto to the world. He is our highest treasure. You can strip us of everything this world has to offer and as long as we have Him, we have everything that we need. Notice Paul's conclusion in verse 23. He says, To depart and be with Christ is far better, but for your sake, Philippians, it's necessary for me to stay with you. Paul goes, It is critical that I stay and I function in my role as part of this body. In other words, Paul is saying, Guys, I... I need you, and you need me, right? You just said, I, I'm relying on your prayers. I'm relying on your encouragement. I'm relying on your support. I'm relying on your partnership. Paul needed these brothers and sisters, and they needed him. Let me just ask you a question. If you were to lose a body part, God forbid. Let's say somebody just lops off one of your arms one day, or one of your legs, an eye, an ear. Are you going to miss that body part? Of course you are. Because first there's going to be pain, then there's going to be a long period of healing, and then the rest of your life you're going to spend trying to adjust and compensate for the body part that used to be there that is no longer there. In fact, your other body parts are going to have to work even harder to overcome the absence of that missing body part. It affects everything. For those of you who have lost something, even as simple as a tooth, it affects everything, doesn't it? It affects the way that you eat. It affects the way that you chew. It affects the way that you smile. can even affect the way that you talk, the way that you enunciate words. Every single part of the body, no matter how big or how small, has such an incredibly intricate and important function to the whole. So I want you to hear this. We Listen, believer. We we are not we are never who Jesus wants us to be without one another. We cannot be. We are never who Jesus intended us to be without each other. See the Christian life is not an individual sport. It's just not. Christian life is designed to be a team sport. But for far too many Christians we live life like free agents. We live life like our faith is an individual sport. And we end up frustrated. We end up disillusioned. And I would guess that some of you are there right now. You're just frustrated. You're frustrated by your lack of spiritual growth. You're frustrated that you feel distant from God. You're frustrated that you feel disconnected from those in the church family. I want you to listen to me. You were designed as part of a body. And until you are appropriately connected to that body, functioning in your designed role, you will always feel out of place to one degree or another. So here's the point, and this is a big one. This is the last one. Living in Christ means, believer, truth number four, you don't attend church, you are the church. Church is not a building. Man, we've got to get out of that mindset. Even saying stuff like we're going to church is theologically incorrect. Church is not a building. Church is not an event that takes place for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. We collectively are the church. We are the team. If you are here and you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, listen to me, you have been given specific gifts and passions and talents Explicitly for the purpose of building up the church, the body, and expanding Jesus' kingdom. And so here's my question for you, Christian. If you were to disappear from the scene tomorrow, would the body of Christ miss you? Like whether you're a part of the New Life family here or some other church family, would they suffer because of your absence? Would they have to compensate for your loss? In other words, are you, are you using your spiritual gifts in the body? Like, are, are you doing that? Are you in community? Are you serving in some capacity in the body? And if not, let me just ask you, why not? And please, please, please don't say you're busy. Like, so is everybody else in the world. You aren't special. Actually, you are special because God made you and loves you and all that kind of stuff. But you're not special in the sense that you get some kind of spiritual past because you think you're busier than everybody else on the planet. We are all busy. Here's the reality. We find time for what is most important to us. And it may be time for some of us to clear some stuff on our plate That's less important so that we can invest in what God has actually created us to do in life. And I say that as one of your pastors with love in my heart. But we need you. We need you. As the Philippians needed Paul around as Paul relied on them for their prayer, their support, their encouragement. They needed each other. They fed off each other. They emboldened each other. They needed that. We need that. I need you. And you need me. We are a family. And so my encouragement to you this morning is, listen, let's, let's get in the game together. Let's, let's bleed together. Let's advance the kingdom of Jesus together. And as we do that, let's find the joy together that Paul speaks about. That abundant life that Jesus taught about. The life that counts in the end. The life that will actually matter. Let's live the life we were created to live. The one that's all about loving God and loving others as we help people find and follow Jesus. That's what will matter 10,000 years from now. Let's live that life, friend. And let's do it together for our good, for the glory of King Jesus. Because He is worthy of our lives. Let Paul's prayer be our prayer today and the rest of our days. This will be on the screen for you. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's say that together as we close. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's pray. Father, you alone can do these things in our lives. <laughs> Not naturally, Father, we, we tend to drift towards um, complaining and self-pity, throwing ourselves pity parties instead of choosing joy in all circumstances, Father. Naturally, we tend to drift towards timidity instead of courage. We tend to rely on our own strength and our own smarts instead of pressing into prayer and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we naturally drift towards thinking that the Christian life is something that we can do alone, or even worse, should do alone. We tend to think that it's an individual sport when you have always designed it to be a team sport. One family, one body, one mission. God, would you help us realize that we we need you to do this. We need each other to do this. But yet at the same time, God, help us to realize that for those of us who know Jesus, we already have access to all of this that Paul talked about. We have access to joy. We have access to courage. We have access to prayer. We have access to the power of your Holy Spirit. We have access to the body of Christ. All of it. All of it is ours in Jesus. This is our identity, God. So help us in a real sense to become who we already are in You. Father, for the person here who's maybe not yet a believer, not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe they're on the fence, this morning maybe maybe they're religious and so they think they're in, but they're really out because they don't know You. They've never known You. For that person here, Father, would you show them? Would you just illuminate in their mind, show them the aimlessness of a life lived apart from you? God, would you show them that that the exhausting chase for happiness never ends until we cling to Jesus? never ends until we find our life in Him. God, would you, would you do that for them this morning as you've done for me, as you've done for so many others in this room, God. We ask it all in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.